Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us who are watching here at Central Campus, as well as those tuning in online. I want to wish all the mothers at Center Street Church a happy Mother's Day. God has placed an incredible capacity in mothers to demonstrate love. Mothers love their children in the best of times and in the worst of times. And in many ways, uh, mother's love is uh, a reflection of God's perfect love. So we're grateful to God for our moms. And on this special weekend, we take the time to honor you. The good news today is I'm going to spare you from a Mother's Day sermon. And uh, this weekend and the following one, uh, we're going to look at uh, two key passages from the book of Ephesians. Over the last few weeks, uh, throughout our building initiative, we've regularly referred to our history as a church. We've talked about our growth, including the growing number of uh, kids in our midst here at Center Street Church. Today, I want to bring to your attention an incredible work of God at CSC in one particular area. Especially in the last 10 years or so, God has orchestrated something spectacular. Do you know what I'm referring to? Just look around and see the diversity in this room. It is amazing that God has changed the demographics of our congregation and turned CSE into a multi-ethnic church. He has brought people of various different ethnicities as part of our family. Sociologists define a multi-ethnic church as a church where no one ethnicity makes up more than 80% of the whole. So by that definition, Center Street Church is a multi-ethnic church. We are not a homogeneous church where everyone looks like you, talks like you, thinks like you, are of the same age or economic standards like you. We are diverse in every possible way you can imagine, and yet we are one body in Christ. And I tell you, this did not take place accidentally. This did not happen by chance. This is not something we created. This is an intentional work of God in our midst. When our nation and city is trending towards diversity, a diverse multi-ethnic church is best suited to reach out to our society. Otherwise, we will become irrelevant to the changing face of our world. But being a multi-ethnic church is not for pragmatic reasons alone. This is for gospel reasons. When you look at the early church, the first century church was multi-ethnic. They did not start a Jewish church and a separate Gentile church because that would be a contradiction of the gospel message that they proclaimed. So the earliest churches that were started housed all kinds of people from various ethnicities, including slaves, multi-ethnic churches were the norm in the first century. And this is not a modern-day invention. When believers from diverse backgrounds worship together, fellowship together, serve together, engage in mission together, it serves as a powerful witness to the world that is watching us. So this weekend and the following one, 
I want to offer us a biblical foundation, the theological underpinnings of a multi-ethnic church. For this was envisioned by Jesus himself, and it is clearly prescribed in the writings of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read our text for today from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lord, we take a moment to pause and reflect on this amazing truth that God, by His Spirit, dwells inside of us. That we are the temple of the living God. Father, we thank You for the diversity that we see here in our church, how You have brought people of various backgrounds and ethnicities and made us as part of this family. We pray, God, as we open our hearts to listen to You, that you will continue to build our unity, that you will do a deep work in our hearts, that we will sense our oneness in the Spirit, that we are indeed one body in Christ. So come and minister to us in the power of your Spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. All through history, human beings have been preoccupied with building walls. From the Great Wall of China to the Berlin Wall to Donald Trump's proposal to build a wall in the U.S.-Mexico border, we have a long list of walls in history. And walls signify one thing. It's built to keep people out, to cause division and segregation. In our text in Ephesians 2, Paul speaks about 
the demolishing of one of the biggest walls of his time that separated the Jews and Gentiles. I want to give you the context for our passage. If you read the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, it emphasizes that it is by grace we have been saved through faith. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, a vertical reconciliation takes place. We become right with God and we receive God's gift of salvation. But most Christians stop here and they don't pay attention to the rest of the good news presented in Ephesians 2. So many people think of the gospel as only about being reconciled to God. They picture an individualistic gospel of which the New Testament knows nothing about. For the second part of Ephesians that we read tells us, not only are we reconciled vertically in Christ, but we are also reconciled horizontally. The work of the cross is both vertical and horizontal. So through Christ, not only do we experience eternal reconciliation with God the Father, but social reconciliation between all races and classes is also accomplished through the blood of Christ. In our text in Ephesians 2, Paul speaks about the, the divide and hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles in the first century world. There was a vast gulf, a huge disparity between these two groups, and they were filled with animosity towards each other. When we refer to Gentiles, we mean anybody who was a non-Jew. It is a broad category that consists of people from different ethnic backgrounds. Both Jews and Gentiles looked down on each other. There were no meaningful social interaction between these two groups. See, the Jews were filled with ethnic pride that they were the chosen people of God. And they referred to the Gentiles in a derogatory way. They used the term of mockery, the uncircumcised. It was a racial slur. They hated and despised the Jews, the, despised the Gentiles, and treated them worse than dogs. And the standing symbol of this enmity between these two groups was the stone wall that you could see in the magnificent uh, temple in Jerusalem during Jesus' time. If you look at the Jewish temple, there was the court of the priests. Then adjacent to that was the court of Israel for all Israelite men. And further east was the court of women. And these three courts for the priests, for the Israelite laymen and laywomen, were on the same elevation as the temple. But from this level, you step five steps down to a walled platform and then take a few more steps to another wall beyond which was the court of the Gentiles. That was the place reserved for all non-Jews who had to stand beneath and look up to the temple because they were not allowed to approach any closer. Latest archaeological discoveries show that the dividing stone wall of hostility had threatening signs on them. We are used to the sign, trespassers will be prosecuted. They had the sign, trespassers will be executed. And at the same time, the Gentiles, they found the Jews to be peculiar. The Jews were despised oddballs who followed strange customs such as circumcision, Sabbath, kosher food, worship of one God, 
everything that they did was countercultural. So Paul argues here in Ephesians 2 that not only are we alienated from God, but sin has caused an alienation from each other, separated us and caused major divisions. So our text in verses 11 and 12 opens with these words. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles were considered to be so far from the Jews, excluded from the privilege of citizenship, of being God's chosen people. They were foreigners, outsiders. They didn't belong to the covenantal community of the Old Testament. But all that is about to change in the very next verse, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Old Testament, you see that God and Israel were near to one another. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, 7, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? So here are the Jews who are so near to God, and here are the Gentiles who are so far removed from God with no hope. And Paul tells us here, but now in Christ, the people who are far away have been brought near. What that means is, no longer do one people group have exclusive rights to God's presence. Because of Jesus, every single people group have access to God's presence. The word but is very important in the book of Ephesians. Because you would see Paul does this again and again. He paints the reality, gives us the negative condition of humanity, and then introduces the word but, for in Jesus we find the dramatic reversal, a divine intervention. But what we see here is a miracle. We who are alienated from God and from each other are brought near to God and brought near to one another that is the full gospel. Now the question is, how did Jesus accomplish this? Verse 14 gives us the answer. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I'm pretty sure Paul had in mind as he was writing this letter, this wall of separation that existed in the temple. This dividing stone wall of hostility, a perpetual reminder that Jews and Gentiles are enemies, was metaphorically broken through the blood of Jesus. Jesus did not lower the walls so Gentiles can come into the fold. He dismantled it. The dividing barrier was completely torn down. The loss that brought separation between the Jews and Gentiles was totally done away with. 
as a result of that, this deep rift that existed for centuries was removed. No longer can one race claim privileged status over others. God views all of us equally. And now we come to Paul's main point in our text. This is the key verse in our passage, verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. If you read the Old Testament, when a Gentile places his or her faith in the God of Israel, Yahweh, then they had to convert to Judaism. They were regulated by the laws of circumcision, food laws, and clothing regulations, and on and on. Paul is telling us here, when Gentiles come to faith in Jesus, they don't get converted to Judaism. This is not one group merging with the other. But Ephesians 2 is speaking of God's eternal purpose to create a new humanity, a new race, a new society that represents his kingdom. It's the church. There are two Greek words for the word new, chronos and kainos. Pastor Brian Loritz points out the difference between these two words. Chronos is the word from which we get our word, chronology, it means newest in terms of time. So if you talk about an iPhone, this is the latest iPhone X. If you refer to cars, this is the latest SUV available in the market. But that's not the Greek word for new that Paul is using in our text. Paul very deliberately uses the word kainos, which means a new kind. This is unprecedented, uncommon, something you have never heard or seen. It speaks of a new invention. So this is not the latest iPhone X, but this is going back to Alexander Graham Bell, who was a Canadian, by the way, who invented the telephone, this device through which you can have conversation with someone at a distance. In terms of cars, this is not the latest Hyundai or Honda or Toyota, but it speaks of the very first automobile ever invented. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? By dying on the cross and redeeming people for himself, Jesus is not just bringing truce between two fighting parties. This is not a ceasefire agreement. He's creating something brand new. Jesus is not changing Gentiles into Jews or Jews into Gentiles, but he creates a new race which is one of a kind. He creates something totally unprecedented, uncommon, unheard of, something the world has never seen or witnessed. We, the church, are the new humanity. We are a creative act of God. So in this new humanity called the body of Christ, the church, we all are equal. Because we have a shared identity. First and foremost, we are children of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And then comes our ethnic identity from birth. And I tell you, this idea was so 
radical in the first century world. It blew people's minds. For social segregation was huge at that time. You had nothing to do with people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you. But the church in the first century was the only place where people of different backgrounds came together for meaningful fellowship. Do you get this? The Jewish Christians didn't have to go to the north side of the city to attend church. The Gentile Christians didn't have to go to the south side of the city to attend church. But they met together as one body in Christ and fellowshiped together. So Jews, Samaritans, Romans, Greeks, Africans, men, women, masters, and slaves not only worshipped together, but they loved and served one another. And all of that happened because they understood more important than their ethnicity of birth was their new identity in Jesus. Now here's the question. What does this mean for our 21st century world, for those of us living here in Calgary, Alberta? What relevance does this removal of hostility between Jews and Gentiles in the first century world mean to us today? This is the principle we derive. God seeks to remove barriers wherever people are divided. Ephesians 2 is not just about bridging the division between Jews and Gentiles. This is a prototype for removing all divisions caused by race, class, economic standards, age, or gender. The application for us today is the gospel breaks all dividing walls of hostility. Wherever there is a chasm or a bridge, or a chasm or a divide, the cross serves as a bridge. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The most important part of this verse is the phrase, in Christ Jesus. This is not about lowering the walls to include all people irrespective of their beliefs. This is not a call to religious pluralism, to water down our convictions or accommodate sinful lifestyles within the church. That's not what Paul is saying here. In fact, he's affirming the fact that there is only one way of salvation, one way to peace. You may be the prime minister of our country. You still don't have a special status in the kingdom of God. We all find forgiveness through one way, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And consequently, there is no hierarchy in God's kingdom. The community of believers are all one body. We are the body of Christ. As a church, do we reflect that truth to the world around us? When people think of the church, is that the first thing that comes to their mind? In John chapter 17, 
Jesus prayed for the unity of the church on the night before his crucifixion. He prayed that through our unity, people will find out who Jesus is. Think about this. A multi-ethnic local church like this is the best apologetic to the gospel because we are a living proof of the message we proclaim. I saw in front of a gym the sign, everyone thinks exercise is a good idea, but thinking about it doesn't burn calories. <laughs> that is the same with unity. It's a great concept in theory, and everyone agrees to it, but it has to be lived out. And a diverse church congregation like us show to the world that it is indeed possible to live out this truth. Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous letter from the Birmingham City Jail, stated that the church is not a thermometer that records the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It is a thermostat that transforms the mores of society. And that is why the spread of Christianity threatened the social order of the first century world. It was so divergent from the society's way of life, but yet it made inroads into the culture and turned their world upside down for Jesus. And that should be true today because the church is a community of the called out ones whose way of life is in complete contradiction to the norms of the culture, but our message is so compelling that it turns the world upside down for Jesus. So the church of all places, of all institutions in this world should issue a reminder to people that the walls of hostility have been broken. So when we hear in the news about what happened in Lethbridge, this racial tirade in a Denny's restaurant, not only do we condemn such actions through our words, but we show to the world it is indeed possible to live together in harmony. For we who are part of Senestry Church, people of diverse background, ethnicities, age, don't just tolerate one another, but we break barriers to love one another and serve one another. We who are diverse in so many ways are united in our faith. We join together along with the mission of our church to introduce people to Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. We all use our spiritual gifts to build one another up. We form community groups that are multi-ethnic and do life together. We invite people into our home who are different from us, into our dinner tables. In all these ways, we reflect the gospel to the world that God loves all people and we become a little microcosm of this future reality that we call heaven. Now, it's important I say this so no one misunderstands me. I'm not saying that we should become colorblind and pretend that there are no differences, that we are all uniform. When you come to faith in Christ, 
your ethnic identity doesn't disappear, it takes the second stage. That means we don't ignore our diversity, but we actually affirm and celebrate our diversity. Each one of us should be proud of our skin color because that's who God made us to be. It is the hostility that has been demolished, not our race identity. Now, I'm an East Indian by birth, and I love spicy food. And that hasn't changed even after I became a Christian. In fact, our little girl is only 15 months old, and even she likes spicy food. We can't help it. It's in the DNA. You know, we had recently arrived here in Canada in the year 2009 and celebrated our first Thanksgiving. And the most popular food at Thanksgiving is turkey. Until the time I associated turkey with a country, not a bird. I'd never even seen one in India. So when we were served turkey for the very first time and we visited someone, I thought, this is one giant chicken. <laughs> and after taking a few bites, I asked our dinner host, do you have some hot sauce? <laughs> you know, cooking turkeys for holidays is not a Christian practice. It is a cultural practice. We all don't have to do that. We are united, but we are not uniform. Having said that, I must now admit that I actually like turkey these days, especially when it is spicy turkey curry. <laughs> Jesus doesn't erase our culture, but he brings a transformation in our hearts so we can see the good in every culture and welcome all people. Now, how is this possible that people who are so different can be part of one church with all of their personal preferences? Paul gives us the answer in verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. How is this possible? through the cross. The cross is level ground. The cross is the place where all of these barriers are broken. The ground of the cross is level and any standing we have before God is given to us. It's inherited and not earned. It is the cross that breaks hostility and makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So, the question, why would people who look different, think different, who are discreet in their culture, language, personal preferences, be part of one church like this and come to one place to worship together? Oh, we may have all kinds of differences, but let me remind us today, we have this in common, and this is the most important thing, for we all have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have clothed ourselves in His righteousness. We have a common story. We were once lost, but now we are found. We were once blind, but now we see in the midst of the diversity, we are united because Jesus is at the center of our lives.
Do you see why a multi-ethnic church testifies to the gospel to the world that's watching us? As we come to a close, I want us to prepare our hearts as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Let me read verses 18 and 19 in our text. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So the Gentiles who were considered far from the Jews are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of his great big family. This coming week is a special one for my wife and I because uh, this Friday, God willing, we will become Canadian citizens. <laughs> you know, until now, there were some things we couldn't do because we were not Canadians. But citizenship changes everything. We will have the same rights as every other Canadian in this country. And that is basically the message of our text. What we read here is the unique power of the gospel to reunite people from different ethnic groups by giving us a heavenly citizenship. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, sin entered into the world. Sin alienates us from God, alienates us from one another. Sin is the very root of our ethnic pride that makes us to think somehow we are superior to others. But when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of the sin problem. And by the shed blood of Jesus, we are reconciled with God vertically. We are reconciled with one another horizontally. Followers of Christ have one Father. We are brought into one family of God by one Spirit. We are one body in Christ. Just as the wall in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was a visual reminder of the separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles, this communion table is a visual reminder of our unity in Christ. As we approach the Lord's table as a new humanity, we proclaim the full gospel, reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another through Jesus. I'm going to ask us to maintain a moment of silence to prepare our hearts. And at this time, I will invite the communion servers to come forward. And the rest of us, let us just close our eyes and reflect on the message that we've heard today. Ephesians 2.13 reminds us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This table here is a declaration of our unity in Christ. This is a place of celebration because we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. For we who were once far away have been brought near through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what we see here are symbols, but they're powerful symbols. They're symbols of our unity in Christ. The body 
of Jesus was broken for us. The blood of Jesus was shed to redeem us from our sins and bind us to one body. So as the elements come to you, uh, kindly take and hold, and we will partake of it together. And this table is open for every person here in this room who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you call Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're living your life all out for him, and you're welcome to participate in this meal as a celebration of our unity in Christ. Ephesians 2.20 reminds us, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So that is the reminder for all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that we are part of one body. We share a common citizenship in heaven. So what we hold here are symbols of what Jesus has done for us, this great work of Jesus that has broken the walls of hostility. The body of Jesus was broken for us so we can be reconciled with God. Let's partake of this with gratitude. The blood of Jesus was shed for us so we can be reconciled with one another. Let's partake of this with gratitude. Do you join me for closing prayer? Lord, we marvel at this work of grace that we who were once far away have now been brought into your presence, that we are near to you, that we share a common citizenship. We are children of the living God bought by the precious blood of Jesus. That is our true identity. I pray that you will take that message deep into our hearts, that when we think about ourselves, the first thing that, we, that will come to our mind is the fact that we are your children. And we pray, oh God, that you will continue to build unity in our church, that as people from diverse backgrounds come together to be part of one church, we pray that we will show the world how to live in harmony with one another. That as we learn to love one another and serve one another and build one another up, we pray that Jesus will be exalted in our midst. And even as Jesus is being magnified, we pray that you will draw all people to yourself. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.